Before we jump into the podcast, I just want to take 30 seconds of your time. I want to talk to you about a passion project of mine for the last three years called Hustle Focused Energy. It is a powder drink mix intended to help you focus. So you can focus on your side hustle, escaping the nine to five, your entrepreneurship goals, whatever the case may be. Super excited to bring this to market. Go check it out, hustletheday.com. And thank you so much for listening. On this episode of the Hustle of the Day podcast, I have Maxwell Ivy. Max is a fascinating individual. He's better known as the blind blogger because he is blind. However, he is not using that as an excuse. And he even has a podcast called What's Your Excuse? This gentleman has so many built-in excuses, and yet he perseveres in spite of all of them. Fascinating story, fascinating individual. Let's get into it. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Hustle of the Day podcast. My name is Trent. I am super excited and honored to have Maxwell Ivy here. Max, looking at your story, it's truly remarkable, truly amazing. Why don't you jump in here and tell my audience a little bit about yourself? I will. Uh, Trent, thank you for having me on the show. And I love that little pause you did there. We're like, I don't even know what to say about this cat. You're um, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I am. Maxwell Ivy, I'm known around the world as the blind blogger. I am a former failed carnival owner, respected amusement equipment broker, uh, online media publicist. I travel the country uh, giving talks, doing book signings, uh, written and published three self-help books with a fourth one due in July. Uh, I sing when people ask me to or allow me to. Um, what else is I'm missing. I'm a prolific guest. I'm a host of a show called What's Your Excuses, I think I mentioned. And uh, basically, I'm one of those people who I failed at being a carnival owner. Uh, part of that was because of my dad's death, but I just couldn't keep it going. So I started doing the next thing I thought I knew, which was helping people sell rides. And I did that. I still do it. I made a little money from it, but not as much. People said, you know, Max, you inspire the heck out of us. We want to hear more about you. So I started the second website as the blind blogger where I share my personal experiences and the life lessons people can take from them. And uh, it's led to all these other things that basically each have come because somebody challenged me. They dared me to do something like writing my first book or somebody else was doing something. I thought, Hey, that sounds interesting. I'm curious. What I, how would that look if Max did it? So I don't claim to be an intentional entrepreneur. A lot of where I'm at now is thanks to, to suggestions and help from great friends I've met along the way, and the willingness to try something new, even if it scared the heck out of me at the time. That's amazing. Amazing introduction. Uh, yeah, so you grew up, you know, running a carnival, and, you know, you're, unfortunately, your dad passed away. You got kind of took over the, the reins of that. So, like you said, you weren't intentionally an entrepreneur. Uh, but did you catch the bug in that or at any point did you say, you know what, this is, you know, running my own business is for me or did you ever think, man, I just need to get a regular job? <laughs> it's funny you ask that question that way. Both of my brothers and I have two younger brothers, Patrick and Michael, both of them were like 
we should sell out. We should get a regular job. We should do something else. Me, I'm like, you know, I enjoyed being in the business. Um, and before the carnival, before my dad died, it was us against the world. It was me and him. You know, we traveled the country. Uh, we spent probably over a million miles driving up and down roads and raggy old pickup trucks, uh, moving carnival from one town to the next. We spent a lot of time. I learned a lot of great life lessons that, uh, sitting next to him. And me and him, we had this vision that eventually we would be successful. We would have 15 or 20 rides uh, and that we would, we would be making a sustainable living, not only for us, but for the people around us. That was our vision. So when he died for a little while, first I had, we joined up with my uncle's carnival. I didn't enjoy being there. He didn't want us there. We had competed bitterly with him and his family for bookings for years. So it was like, not only did I go out of business, not only did I fail, but hey, if I got to lose, why do I have to lose to them? You know, <laughs> there are other carnivals we could connect up with. Um, but he didn't want me to helping with the bookings, which is something I'm really good at because I'm great at being told no. It doesn't bother me at all. To me, no is just is just the next step on to finding the, finding the perfect yes. And uh, trust me, if you're trying to book a seven-ride carnival in a state like Texas where everybody had two or three times more equipment than you did, you get told no a lot. So I got really good at that. Um, he wouldn't let me help with the bookings. He didn't want our rides on the midway. Um, my games weren't built to compete on a midway with 15 or 20 rides. They were great on our small show, but they just couldn't make a living. You know, so uh, eventually I'd talk the family into saying, look, this isn't working for me. Y'all are having to take money out of your uh, businesses to put in my games. Just let me go home and focus on the midway and so when I got home it was like okay I found a replacement for the business I lost and you know I found something I could say this is mine I'm going to work my ass off learn what I learn as much as I can build this thing into something that makes a living and that I can be proud of so I basically went I guess you could say I was jonesing for the entrepreneurial drug if you will without really knowing it because I just felt home again once I started working on a project that was totally mine. Mm -hmm. Well, that's, that's very cool. So I'm, like you said, you kind of always had that entrepreneurial spirit or at least, you know, you enjoyed doing that. Um, the question is you, you get home, you do your, own thing and is was it your own personal equipment that you decided to start selling off or was it other people's equipment that that kind of started that business right well at first it was our equipment because our my uncle um it basically our rides were not good enough for his midway so hmm. i started off by selling the rides we still had and then once i did that I started progressing to other people's rides. And in, in the beginning, it was really difficult to get people to list equipment with me. And for the first few years, the only people that I could get the attention of were people who knew me personally or knew my dad or had uh, worked at events with us so they had an acquaintance with me. Because at that time, there were a lot of websites where people could list used equipment that were free because they had advertising or they were self-sponsored by a finance company, a leasing company, or an event management company. So 
I was the only site where people would have to pay a commission to list their equipment and have to pay me something when they sold their equipment. So they're like, one, we don't know you. Two, you're new. And three, why should we pay you when we have all these other free options? So I basically had to prove it to people that I could sell stuff. And in the first few years, the only equipment that came onto my website was older, uh, in poorer condition. A lot of it had been sitting in storage, uh, degrading. And in fact, my brother Patrick used to joke about the website in the early days. He's like, like, Max, why don't you just change the name from Midway Marketplace to Isle of Misfit Rides? He said, <laughs> he said when, your, when your site launches, you can have it play the theme song from Sanford and Son. Oh, man. <laughs> and, and, you know, he was right. But he was right because people just didn't want to. They didn't want to do business with me. They didn't want to pay a commission. So uh, in the early days, I had, to, I had to leverage friendships and acquaintances. The other thing I did that I really didn't know what I was doing at the time was creating email lists. And all I was thinking is these people are listing their equipment on these other sites. The equipment isn't moving, or at least it isn't moving by my judge. They've put their contact information up there. So I would send them emails and never get them open. You know, they would never reply to me and say, please don't write me again even. So I thought, well, what can I do for these people that will get them to open my emails so that they can find out what I do and maybe they'll list their equipment or maybe they'll see something I have for sale that they want to buy. And I thought, well, a lot of these people are new to the internet. They probably want traffic to their website. So I started grabbing up the, uh, the basic information from their business websites. I added it to a page of links for the amusement industry on my website. And I sent them an email and I say, look, see this link here? it's going to help bring traffic to your website and may even help you increase your bookings or, or sales of your, of your products and services. All you have to do to have this stay on my website is agree to get my emails once a week. And that worked. I did not know I was offering a lead magnet and building an email list. I just thought, well, if I can get these people to listen to me, to open my emails, then I got a chance. So, uh, but yeah, I started with my own equipment. Then I worked on to friends equipment and then eventually started getting equipment from other parts of the country and the world. And my first big sale was actually a request. A, a concessions owner, which means he sells food in Australia, wanted to find a ride called the Astroliner, which was a early model simulator. And so I was able to find one for him and make the deal with the owner of the ride. And so this big simulator, a 53-foot semi-trailer load called the Jules Verne, Went from, uh, from, from Kansas to Long Beach, California to Sydney, Australia. And I tell you, when I got that check in the mail, that was a big day. Yeah. That's pretty exciting. So, I mean, there's just so much to unpack there. Like, so you, you know, you, you have a podcast called What's Your Excuse? And that's kind of a theme I want to stick with because, I mean, you created a website without any prior knowledge of creating websites. Uh, right. You created an email list and you, uh, not only that, you you had a disadvantage of your site charged a commission and you still managed to build it. Like that's that's just impressive. We talk about, okay, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, we, you said we want to talk about what's your excuse today and I appreciate that because it is how how live my life. But I, I think I, I think it goes a little deeper than that. Um, when me and my dad were 
running around the country, a lot of times we would get to the next town and people would go, how did y'all manage to do that by yourselves? You know, how did you manage to load that thousand pound midwalk without help? How did y'all manage to, uh, to get that ride loaded up on that trailer that's supposed to take free people? And he would always just look at them and I, I'm pretty sure he would smile at them. I'm not <laughs> sure. Uh, and he would say, what? Did we have a choice? And so I spent 15 years around a guy who didn't say, what's your excuse? He said, what? Do we have a choice? And it's the same thing, you know. And I didn't, really didn't have a choice. I had to figure out a way to build a website. I didn't have money to hire somebody. I didn't have the skills, so I had to figure out a way. I had to acquire the information. I didn't have the trust to where I could have hired somebody, even if I had had the money. I mean, come on. It's the beginning of your business. It's hard turning the keys to the car over to somebody you don't know, even if they appear to know what they're doing. So uh, I had to figure out a way, and my way was to visit the w3c.org school and go through the, the uh, tutorials on there and build a website one piece at a time from the, you know, the, the homepage, the links, the colors, the embedded photos and links to videos eventually. You know, I, I learned it one piece at a time. I would try it. Then I would, I would send emails and ask people I knew, hey, uh, how did I do? And they would tell me whether it was good or bad or whether I was totally missed, totally missed it. Um, quite often those emails came back, Hey Max, your site isn't loading at all. You must've really done something wrong. <laughs> uh, and, and later I would post to social media and the same thing would happen. You know, when I first started adding images, a lot of times I would think I added the image, but instead I would have just big holes of, of black squares or rectangles on my website because I missed a character here or there. And you know, that's, right. that's the bad thing about HTML. You know, it's, it's very, it's very, um, oh, it's, it's exacting. If you miss even one comma space less than whatever, it breaks everything. And then you spend hours trying to find that little one thing you did wrong. And I'm telling you, I still see, I still hear less than and greater than in my sleep. <laughs> well, so the funny, funny thing you should mention that because I like HTML for the fact that if you mess something up, the website still works. That section doesn't work. Uh, you've, you know, messed up that section, but like say PHP or something, you miss a character in there, the entire thing doesn't load and you have no idea where to look. Whereas with HTML, it's like, oh, this tag is missing in this section of the website. I can fix that. Yes, unless the page you're working on is your homepage and then that one error crashes everything. True. <laughs> <laughs> And since my site was all about getting people's attention uh, on my on on equipment, having them see it, because if they don't see it, they can't want it. If they don't want it, they won't buy it. So mm -hmm. my front my homepage changed more than any other page on the website for a time there. So uh, so you know if if you break something on the homepage, the whole the whole site doesn't load. And um, and you know, but you're but you're right. I basically uh, I decided that. I had to build a website somehow. I decided that I wasn't going to give myself the excuse of, I can't use a visual editor. I can't use Drupal. I, uh, I can't hire somebody. I wasn't going to use those excuses. I was just going to go, there has to be a way to do this and I'm going to do it. And Oh, by the way, my first website, my first attempts at my website were horrible. Um, 
I did a very poor job of picking the colors for my website. So the yellow background turned out to be an ice creaming yellow. The blue turned out to be a navy blue. The red turned out to, for the red for links turned out to be a brick red. The orange for previously clicked links turned out to be a fluorescent orange, like something off the side of a dive bar. Um, I couldn't edit my images, so I would have different size pictures on the same screen together. And I've been told more than once that in those days, the website was so bright that Ray Charles and Stevie Wonder could have had an argument over it. <laughs> oh, man. That, that's but, pretty funny. But I didn't let it be... But I didn't let it be an excuse for not recruiting clients, for not promoting the heck out of the equipment I had, and not for not making sales, you know? Of course, yeah. it, it could have something to do with the fact that I couldn't see it for myself, and I knew that there really wasn't much I could do to improve it at that time. Right, for sure. So, you know, the same thing goes with anything that anybody's tried. The first time you do it, you're not going to be great at it. But the fact is, you still kept doing it. You still went after it. And I mean, that's, that's impressive for anyone to do. You know, they see the, see the lack of results and they still keep going. Yeah, I appreciate that. And, and it's only when I talk to people like you who have done HTML before that I realized how big a deal it was because as entrepreneurs, we tend to put less emphasis on the things we did five years ago or 10 years ago, even if they were amazing and we should remember them uh, more often because they're the kinds of things that will carry you through when you get through those, get into those hard times today. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so you, would you say that um, Australian gaming, uh, that brokerage that you did with that Australian company is, would you say that was a turning point for your website in brokering uh, equipment? Yes, I think it was because it proved to people I could find homes for hard-to-place items. Okay. And it proved that my website was more was, inter, was international. It was more than just the United States and Canada, which was something many of my competitors were. They were strictly focused on North America and which is one of the reasons why when I started out, my ideal was when I started, I'm like, I don't know if I can do this or not, but if I can, I want my site to be truly global. I don't want it to be just fake focused on the North American or, or, and, or maybe the U S and a little bit of the UK. Mm -hmm. well, that's, that's great. I'm, I like that you had that vision initially right out the gate. You thought this is, this is what I want it to be. And you weren't willing to, accept anything less right i also had a, another vision of inclusivity which was i didn't want my site to be just rides and games because i actually reach out to zoos aquariums uh agri agritourism business operators um circuses to me the entertainment or the amuse the traveling amusement industry or the uh amusement entertainment industry is a huge global industry. And I felt like my best chance for success was to be as inclusive as possible and to, uh, to take equipment in from any, any business that I felt was even slightly related to the carnival field. Okay. Yeah, I, I get that. I think they are absolutely related to each other. Uh, now, you don't ever have to house the equipment at any point, correct? No, I don't. 
and I and and that's one thing that I uh, that I've had to accept because even now I have competitors who sell a lot more equipment because they can handle the dismantling, transportation, and reinstallation, or they can store the equipment on their property, or they do the financing, or they handle the transaction as far as the cash or the wire transfers. Those are things I don't do and have no interest in doing. And I feel like, yeah, I would make more sales if I did those, but I would have to have a lot different type of business. And I right. think that it's a, it's a good trade-off for me to focus on making the connections, uh, connect, getting people to, do, to have a sale, and then letting them worry about how to get it from here to there. Yeah, that's, I think, honestly, a fantastic business model for the fact that you don't have any overhead. You don't have to worry about having a lease on a place and, you know, uh, having land for all this equipment and hiring people. It's, it's really smart, honestly. And I have next to no legal liability either. True. Didn't even think of that, for sure. That That is probably a pretty significant thing in in the industry yes especially in the u.s where they can uh, where attorneys will not only sue the operator of the ride but they will sue the manufacturer or the inspector and sometimes they will even try to sell the company that sold the ride if they can prove that the sale was uh what they call a business enterprise which i don't qualify for okay well that's good to shield yourself uh legally there as well um, uh, so you've got, I mean, obviously some of your business, you had to start out of necessity, but exactly what, what helped you to overcome those fears of, Oh, I might fail or I, this might not work or, you know, how do you overcome those things? You know, that's a question I haven't really been asked in that particular way. Um, I don't, thought, I don't think that there was a possibility in my mind that I could fail. I think that I had decided somehow this was going to be a success. But if it hadn't been, uh, I've been through failures before and found that next thing to do. So if after a few years I had realized that this wasn't going to work, that I wasn't making some sort of progress, you know, uh, at least the occasional sale or the occasional listing, I, I believe I would have found something else. I might have gone to work for one of the other brokers. I might have t- might have uh, went back into the private sector. I mean, I might have I might have gotten a regular nine to five job somewhere. We I don't know, but I do know that if it hadn't worked, something else would have worked. And I just never really thought about the fear. And I think that's uh, I don't know if that's training. You know, I don't know if that's my upbringing. Uh, or I don't, or I wonder sometimes if maybe it's just the focus because between my blindness, between my tech disadvantages, uh, between just being totally new to the business, I just didn't have space in my brain to think about what if this doesn't work. I love that. I love it. It's all mindset. I mean, it is absolutely what you think is what becomes. So, I mean, it's, it's absolutely true that you know, if you don't accept failure, you probably won't experience failure, in, at least in your mind, because uh, you will have 
had that experience lead to another experience, which led to another experience, which got you that success. Exactly. Which is why when people ask me to sing, I usually sing the river because I don't think there's been a better song written to exemplify the way I've lived my life or the way my business life has progressed. Wow. Very cool. So to speak to that a little bit. Uh, I know we're jumping around a little bit, but you, you love to sing in public when you get the opportunity. What <laughs> is that one of your passions or how did that start? You know, I, I do, I sing and I like to talk about singing because it's the only way I have in my life to regularly face something that I'm afraid of. that scares me that uh, I can, I'm concerned about being embarrassed when I do it because when I was in junior high school and I was my I had a big decrease in my vision, I also my voice started to change. People made fun of my singing. So for years I stopped singing and I would sing for myself if I didn't think anybody was around to hear me. But if I heard somebody coming, I would either start singing more softly or I would would, would quit singing. It just was in my head for years. But about eight years ago, when I recorded my first video for the Midway Marketplace, I needed an intro, or at least everybody else that I saw online had intros and outros. And I thought, well, I need one. I didn't have the money to, to hire somebody to do one. And I was up against the clock because I wanted to do this by New Year's Day. And it was December 28th at the time. And so I thought, well, why don't I just sing on my intro? So I did a little bit of a Christmas Carol from Nat King Cole. I talked about a ride that I had just gotten in for sale. I think it was a carousel, but I'm not sure. Um, I did the chorus from uh, Christmas Carol at the end, and people watched it, and they liked it. They said they really enjoyed my singing. So I continued doing that, and then people said, you know, Mice, we like it. We'd like to hear more of it. So I started recording myself singing some of my favorite country or old popular songs and posting them on, on YouTube. And then a, a few years ago, I was speaking at a conference, and after the event, everybody was taking selfies, and I said, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to, to sing a little bit in front of this banner, just something to put in my memory file for the future as a remembrance of this event. And so I get up there, and I sing. For the first time in 30 years, my knees are shaking, my belly is in knots, my breathing is a mess. I'm singing my favorite song in front of my people, you know, fellow speakers and dreamers. There's no reason I should have been scared, but I was. Maybe something somewhere inside me, I knew this was a big moment, even if I didn't know it at the time. So I sing the river. Uh, I finish. Everybody applauds. And one of the other speakers comes over to me, a very powerful Polish speaker named Azuka, who, when he speaks, it's like his voice takes over the entire room. And he goes, hmm. Max, you have an amazing voice. You need to sing. He said, in fact, I don't want to hear that you ever – give a talk again from the mic and don't sing. He said, it's going to become your thing. It's going to be unique. I said, and so I've done it. But the main reason I keep doing it is it scares me. And it's something I can do on a regular basis where I can tell my followers, hey, just because I'm afraid of it doesn't mean I'm going to stop doing it. And I'm sure there are things that in people you coach or that watch your podcast who are like, I don't like doing this. It doesn't, it makes me uncomfortable. It scares me. But when you can do something like that and do it often and continually remind yourself that, hey, this is something that used to, pro used to provide you emotional pain, but you're going to do it anyway, that's why I sing. 
That's amazing. I, I love it. I mean, I, as if I wasn't blown away by your story already. I mean, the fact that you knowingly face your fears on a consistent basis. I mean, so many people just shy away from those fears, myself included. And I, I've got to applaud you for that. But it sounds like the, the speaking itself isn't necessarily a fear of yours because you do public speaking, but it's, it's what comes after the speaking where you start singing. You know, I would like to say you're right, but if you've studied me at all, you know I'm an authentic guy. You know, I don't, I don't allow myself to lie on purpose or by omission. Um, I generally don't get scared when I speak. I didn't even get scared the first time I, I stepped to the mic in Philadelphia three years ago. Um, but there are times when I do get scared and it's because of me and, and what goes on in my brain. And, uh, earlier this year I spoke at PodFest, it's a conference for podcasters in Orlando, Florida. My, my job was to speak at the close of the podcasting 101 school. And my topic was, um, overcome your obstacles, face your fears and launch your podcast already. That was my topic. Well, when I get close to an event, I don't monitor my emails as good as I should or my text messages. So I didn't know that I was going to be following the legendary Dave Jackson, who has created and launched over a thousand podcasts in his career. I'm sitting in the back of the room and I keep hearing people talking about Dave said this and Dave said that. And wow, I can't hear what's like, hear what Dave says in this after lunch. And I'm sitting back there and they reintroduced him like, Oh shit, I've got to follow Dave Jackson. So, <laughs> I will admit to having been sitting in the back of this uh, room, having to do some deep breathing exercises, having to remind myself, okay, Max, you know your quote, and this is my favorite quote, and I use it on myself, I use it on other people. It's from Star Wars, it's from Yoda in the second, in, or, the, or the fifth movie, depending on how you count them, where it tells Luke, if there is no big or small, there only is. And I kept telling myself, Max, you've gave this talk before, or parts of it, it doesn't matter that you're following Dave Jackson. It's no different than when you follow Joe Pardo, a guy who you know and love. So I, by the time it was my turn to get up there, I spent two hours listening to him talk about how to launch a good podcast. And here's exactly what I said. I said, I said, ladies and gentlemen, I really appreciate the opportunity. I know y'all spent all day learning about how to launch a good podcast. Well, I'm here to tell you that the, that the best way for most of us to launch a good podcast is to be bad at it for a while. And I'm fixing to share some of my experiences of how I went from being a bad podcaster to being up here. <laughs> but, but there are times when even if you don't usually get scared because usually you're focused, you're on mission and you just don't think about that stuff. There are times when you can allow yourself to be scared, even if this is something you, you know, that ordinarily wouldn't bother you. Yeah. Well, I think that was a perfect compliment to uh, Mr. Jackson's talk because, I mean, you, a lot of people sit there and think, oh, I've got to have it perfect. I've got to do this just right or else it's not going to work well. And to a lot of people, they just need to start. They just need to do it. Get the bad ones out of the way. That's what I did. If you go back and listen to my first couple of podcasts, I feel bad for those guests because I wasn't polished <laughs> enough to do them justice, but I did it and we're now here. So hopefully that, uh, yeah. you know, it, it yeah. only improves. You know, and here's something I've noticed about most 
successful bloggers and podcasters, and I'm sharing this because I want your audience to know this. Most of us did stink at it when we were in our early days, but I have yet to meet somebody who's still doing it who has who hides those early days. Most of us mm-hmm. want you to see when we were bad, when we were struggling. We want you to see us as we progressed in our role as podcaster or blogger because that's how we become real to y'all. That's how we avoid being put on a pedestal and, and have y'all thinking, well, they're great at it. They've always been great at it. I don't know why I even want to try. Right. Yeah. It keeps you humble. Mm-hmm. Well, we've jumped, we've jumped around, uh, you know, the whole blogging thing there. You know, we talked about your uh, brokering carnival equipment, jumping to the head to the podcast. Let's jump back now to the blind blogger. Tell me how that started. Well, what it was is I was uh, promoting the Midway Marketplace on social media. I was uh, uh, sharing my blog posts on Facebook and LinkedIn, et cetera. And people on LinkedIn started referring to me as the blind blogger. And they started telling me that um, my posts were inspirational and I disagreed with them. Uh, even my closest online friend, a woman named Adrienne Smith, who I refer to as my blogging mama because she used to be known as the blog commenting superstar. Uh, she, she took me under her wing and taught me everything I know about relationship building and relationship marketing. Uh, and she was like, Max, I know you don't get it. And so she explained it to me. She said, here's the thing. You have a built-in excuse. If a blind guy like you decided to sit at home on his couch and watch TV and eat junk food, nobody would say nothing about it. The fact that you don't take advantage of your excuse and you, t- you try all these crazy things anyway is what makes you inspirational to those people who don't have any physical limitations or disabilities who still are not doing anything with their lives. They sleepwalk through their days either because they don't think they can or because they're comfortable being where they are and don't want to risk the, the, the potential failure to try something new. And that's why you're inspirational. That's why you need to share your story more. And so she challenged me. Other people agreed with her. And I said, okay, well, if I'm going to do this, what am I going to call myself? And several people said, Max, we've been calling you the blind blogger for two years. Why don't you see if that's available? If it is, then you need to go ahead and run with it. And uh, thankfully, I did, even though the .com was claimed. I went ahead with the .net, even though somebody else had the blind, has the blind blogger on Twitter. I'm um, the blind blogger wherever it's possible for me to be the blind blogger. And it's one of those things that's turned out to be a great piece of branding that I didn't come up with. I fought against, but when I accepted it, now, if you, you know, well, now if you Google the blind blogger, you will find a few other results because there are more people that are blogging that are open about the fact that they're visually impaired. When I started, I had uh, blind and sighted people who did not like the idea that I was calling myself the blind blogger. They, the, the blind people thought I was unnecessarily using the blindness card, and the sighted people thought I didn't need the crutch of telling people I was blind to get them to read my content. So I lost a few friends. And I was one of the few people that was openly using my, uh, uh, who I was, you know, because my blindness was part of who I am or I was and who I am still. Uh, it was a natural thing. It wasn't something I contrived. I was fine with it. Eventually other people would be fine with it. And like I say, nowadays, if you look throughout Twitter or Facebook, there are a whole bunch of people whose, uh, names include references to disabilities, whether it be, uh, visible or invisible. And I was kind of a trendsetter without knowing it. 
And, but you know, now you, uh, you will occasionally see some other people if you search for the blind blogger, but for the most part, it's me, uh, for it's, it's resulted in me being an influencer for people reaching out to me, uh, wanting me to review their products and a few of them even wanting to advertise on my podcast. So thanks to all those people who knew more than I did when they said six years ago, I should call myself the blind blogger. That's really amazing that you would lose friendships over that because to me, it doesn't seem like you're using it as a crutch. It seems like you're using it as you know, what you probably intended to have some inspiration of, you know, Hey, if I can do this, you can too. I mean, that's, it's really, I I'm, I'm surprised at, at the same time, I guess I shouldn't be surprised, but uh, that's, that's a great story that you were, that you were willing to put that work in and, uh, be inspirational, even though you initially rejected the claim because you had that, as you said, a built-in excuse. Um, and a I lot still, of us just don't I, have those. Yeah, I still have trouble some days accepting that I'm the person that everybody else sees me as. And uh, my new logo is kind of like a superhero mo- motif for the blind mm-hmm. blogger and what's your excuse. And I tell people, you know, 75, 80% of the time I'm the blind blogger or I'm the superhero. The other 15 or 20% of the time I'm a little closer to Clark Kent. <laughs> yep, I, I can I can definitely relate to that. So you are, you're blogging, you're writing a lot. And is that, is the blogging what led you to write a book or how did that come across? Yes, uh, the blogging and blog commenting. Um, a lady posted something on her website. Her name is uh, Eve Koivula, and she posted something about creating um, products to sell on your website. She suggested books, and I replied with a comment like, well, these are all great suggestions, but it would be really good if you could be more specific and maybe point people to a resource on how they could get started. And she replied with, sure, she replied by sending me her ebook on the subject and she invited me to an online summit, but she said I would have to have a book or some other uh, product or service that I could give away or sell at a discount. And she challenged me to write a book in 60 days. And I told her uh, that probably ain't going to happen. And she shared her favorite quote with me, which is Richard Branson's uh, promise to deliver and then figure out how. And I said, well, that sounds great. But if I don't deliver, I'm going to tell everybody this was your idea, not mine. (laughs) <laughs> so I start writing the book. Yeah, I start writing the book. And a few weeks later, she gets back to me and says, Max, there are four other women involved in this five-day online summit. And they've decided that for purposes of marketing, it would be better if it was an all-women event. I'm like, okay. Um, I grew up in a carnival background. I'm, you know, I've, I've always been a promoter of sorts. I understand the value of, of wanting to do things that put feet on the ground, butts in the seats, or faces behind the screens. I said, but you got me started. I'm gonna. I'm not gonna quit writing this book because you basically reminded me how much I love and enjoy writing, how much I had even going back to like the sixth grade. So I continued working on the book and I started sharing it with people. Uh, for a while, I didn't think it was good enough because I thought a book needed to have more pages, need to be longer. And eventually, um, a couple of friends said, you know, Max, this is a really good book. Uh, Basically, a book should end whenever the story is through being told or whenever the 
uh, the advice has has uh, been completed. And besides, this book is going to be great because it's going to be the kind of book people can carry around in their purse or their briefcase with them if, and refer back to it if they want to. So uh, I finally said, okay, I'm going to publish it. I had made friends with Lorraine regularly of wordingwell.com. She had helped me with a couple of problems on my blog. And so I mentioned to her I was thinking about publishing this book. And so she decided to help me get it published. And in January of 2014, it went live on Amazon. And I've really enjoyed the process of, of the book because one of the things about the first book, Leading You Out of the Darkness into the Light, A Blind Man's Inspirational Guide to Success, is that it includes 11 exercises and it includes my email and a request from them that they write to me and report on their progress as they work through the exercises. And I was hoping that it would serve as a voice that there would be at least one person they could share this stuff with who they wouldn't have to worry about being critical of their progress or their lack of progress or just somebody who wouldn't go, you know, you're you're changing. You're not going to be the person I've known for years. And I don't like that. So I'm going to do whatever I can to keep you from being successful. I wanted there to be one voice if they wanted to take advantage of it. Because I know a lot of people, including myself at one time, who've, you know, read the books, listened to the audios, been to events and still weren't able to take that next step. And I didn't want my book to be that way. So uh, it's been an, an, an exciting experience. And is one of those things where when it was through, I was like, this is great. I have written and published a book. Yes, it's self-published, but still, I've done something that, you know, only a few hundred thousand other people have done, and I'm really happy that I've completed it. Um, and I was like, I'm, I can't wait to see what it, this is going to lead to next. And it was just really, it was really a fun experience. And at least for me, it was totally devoid of, are people going to buy this book? My hope was that at least a few people would read it and that it would help some other people make progress and that maybe they would have a story like mine someday. Yeah. I, that's impressive. I think you downplay the self-publishing, but that is the way of the world now. Like it's very rare that people who write their first book, you know, don't self-publish. I think that's, that's the more common route nowadays. I would real still rather have Barack Obama's $6 million check though. <laughs> I, I could see that. I, I won't argue with you on that. Uh, but the, the first book, super inspirational. What led to the next book from there? So you mentioned, you know, it, the book has to complete a story. Did you have another story you wanted to tell with the next one? You know, that's the, that's the dangerous thing about writing a book is, is that at least, as, at least in nonfiction, I can't speak to fiction authors, but at least in nonfiction, when you write one book, generally it, 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 seems, to, um, it seems to generate ideas for future books. So mm -hmm. my second book is called It's Not the Cookie, It's the Bag, and it's about uh, the process I went through to get physically healthy from uh, finding out I needed finding out I had sleep apnea and, and being put on a CPAP to uh, changing some of my lifestyle habits to having gastric surgery to going through the follow-up to the surgery, some of the ways that I maintain things like uh, affirmisms, uh, excuse me, affirmations, uh, meditation, and um, the other thing. Um, why, 
uh, why food journals don't work. There were some of those things in there along with the actual narrative story of my progress of going from over 500, if not over 600, down to 260 pounds and being physically healthy for the first time in my entire life. That's, that's a and, great story. Yeah. And then the third book is called The Blind Bloggers, New York City Adventures, How You Can Make Your Dreams Come True. It's, uh, it's about my competing for and winning the one of the 2016 Amtrak Riders in Residence uh, against thousands of people from all over the U.S. and then deciding to take a crazy solo trip to New York City by myself during the Christmas and New Year's holidays. And how I made that happen, including where the money came from, how I overcame the fear, not only my fear, but the fear of my family and the fear of people online. Uh, you know, just the things that allowed me to go do something like that uh, pretty much by myself. It was, uh, it was a great experience and it's an awesome book. And the, my favorite part of the book is there are about 60 photos that were taken during my trip from here to New York City and back. And those pictures were taken by random strangers that I met during the course of my travels. I have this DSLR camera. It's very simple. It doesn't have Wi-Fi or Bluetooth or anything. You just press the button and you take a picture or you can switch it and take a video. And I would just hand it to cab drivers, to uh, waiters, to, um, to the, uh, what they call the ambassador at, um, at Tiffany's, just um, the... Secret Service guys at Trump Tower took some pictures for me. <laughs> Basically, just anybody I would meet along the way. And we came back with like 300 pictures. And it turned out that 60 of them ended up making it into the book. And, you know, to me, for a blind guy to publish a book with where the photos are every bit as, much, every bit as great a story as the story itself, to me, that's, that's my favorite part of the book. I I totally get that. That is a, an impressive part of that book and that that whole idea of, you know, traveling solo with with so many worries out there in general, um but like you said your family was worried about you, your online community is worried about you. Um and you still did it and I I've got to applaud you for that. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think that uh, the camera thing is a great is a great example of of, of avoiding excuses. You know, um, I could have I could have said, well, if I can't find somebody to go with me, if I can't hire a photographer in New York, I could have come up with lots of reasons why. Well, I'm just not going to try. But instead, I decided let's just do what we can, which is to have whoever I run into take pictures and see how it works out. It worked out great. If it had worked out badly, I still would have had a great story. The story is just mm -hmm. better with the photos and you know, it's, it's, and things are always better when you decide to find solutions. Absolutely. That, I mean, you could sum up the, sum up everything with that, um, with that line, but I want to jump back to the second book real quick. Uh, how would you say getting your health in order and, you know, doing the affirmations and meditation, how has that affected your life? Well, I like to say that my professional life didn't really get going until I started addressing my physical well-being. Um, for example, the, at the time I mentioned earlier when I finally decided to go all in and, and go home and work on my website, 
that coincided with my being diagnosed with sleep apnea and being treated with a CPAP. Because if you're not getting quality sleep, you're not getting enough oxygen to the brain, it results in fatigue, lack of interest. Uh, it can also cause uh, poor decision-making. It will cause you to make bad food decisions, which, only, which will only exacerbate your weight if you're overweight like I was. It can lead to high blood, high blood pressure, increased risk of stroke. Uh, it can lead to impotence in men. So, so many things. So once I got treated for the sleep apnea, which is part of the book, I started to have more energy and more curiosity and more passion. And it was like this thing that I've been doing on the side, just kind of halfway working at this website. When I got the, the good quality sleep and rest was when I started thinking, this could be something. This could be my next thing. So definitely my health is a part of it. And I, I counsel entrepreneurs all the time. Yes, you can, yes, you can trade sleep and your health for your business over the short term, but you can't do it long term. Long term, it's dangerous and it can cause severe long term problems with your health that will only make you less capable of showing up in your family, your business, your hobbies. So I tell people, if you snore, find out if you have apnea. Some people don't. Um, most women don't have it, but occasionally some do. If you're sleeping three hours a night, because that's the only way you can get your side hustle going, I hope there are three really great quality hours of sleep. Because if they aren't, eventually you're going to be irritable. You're going to, you're going to miss things. You're going to make mistakes. Even mistakes that a new entrepreneur wouldn't ordinarily make because you're just not at your best when you're not getting quality rest, uh, when you're not eating at least reasonably good food, when you're not taking time out for fun, um, when you don't take time out, even as little as 15 minutes a day, don't take time out for exercise. If your body is off, your business is going to suffer sooner or later. Absolutely. I 100% concur with that. I have experienced that in my own life where if I'm sleeping well and exercising every single day, I, I used to play this game on my phone uh, called the peak brain game where it throws all sorts of puzzles at you and, you know, you get a score based on, uh, you know, they had memory games versus problem solving and all these different things. And my scores would increase if I slept well and I exercised like that. As long as I got my heart rate going, no matter what it was, that made a difference in my brain function. So I completely agree with that. So another, another question I have for you. So you've got these two stories or these three stories and you have a fourth one. What is the premise for this fourth book? Um, it's about my first experiences of traveling to promote myself as an author and speaker. It's a six week period in, in, from May to July of 2017 uh, where I, I, I traveled again by Amtrak um, it discusses where the money came from, how I faced the fear of the journey, um, problems that came up such as missed trains. Uh, I'm trying to think. It talks about uh, my first speech, and there's a great chapter in there where I share about the fact that I was never a great speaker. There was a time when I wasn't even 
good at fulfilling a minimum classroom assignment that required me to talk in front of other people. So the one thing I wanted to do in this book was to, you know, to put it down on paper. My entire journey from, uh, from making comments at, 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 uh, at meetings to, uh, to doing a talent show where I sang on stage to my, you know, my first speaking thing in Philadelphia. Uh, I wanted people to understand. I didn't come into this world with a microphone in my hand and, you know, just automatically be great at this. And while I was never really afraid of the speaking part of it, uh, I did have some uncertainty how, you know, how far had I come from the guy who sometimes ran out of classes crying because he just couldn't do, he just couldn't deliver what he was supposed to deliver for a high school assignment even. Hmm. All right. This is, I'm, I'm fascinated by your story. There's just, (laughs) there's so much to take in. Uh, and really, it, it really comes down to, you know, what's your excuse? I mean, I've, I've talked personally about writing a book. I've gotten as far as writing an outline. Like, that's, that's as far as I've gotten. I've got no excuse. Throw away your outline. Okay. Just trash that file. Don't ever look at it again, unless you won't look at it when you're through to make sure you covered everything you thought you were going to cover. Um, just... Open up, a, open up a page and start writing. If it makes it easier for you to say it out loud, even if you say it in a rambling format, then dictate it. Use the dictate button on your computer or your phone and have somebody transcribe it or send it through one of those auto transcription things. Some people are great with an outline, but since you've mentioned that you've gotten as far as an outline, but you haven't written, that tells me you're not one of those people who's great with an outline. So you need to just yeah. start writing it. Do a chapter, do a paragraph, do a sentence, uh, write down random thoughts. The most important thing to do is just to write. I tell people, don't say you're going to write for an hour. Don't say you're going to write a chapter. Write for five minutes. Ask yourself a key question that's part of the story you want to tell. How do I answer that key question? Write for five minutes, and here's what happens. If you can start, if you start writing, telling yourself you're going to write for five minutes, more often than not, you're going to write for an hour or two hours. It gets better the more you do it. But especially with the first book, just get it down on paper or electronically. And hey, try writing it on paper. Some people do better with a pen and paper than they do electronically. Some people, the white paper just makes it harder for them. So if you Mm -hmm. really want to write a book, if that's really your goal and not somebody else's goal, then I would say scrap the outline, just start writing at odd moments. Uh, have a file on your laptop or your phone where you can add more thoughts to it whenever they occur to you. And eventually you'll have a book. Absolutely. So taking action. I mean, that's, that's what it really comes down to is not just thinking about it, just taking the action. Yeah, and also also realizing things that you're doing that are what people now call barriers to entry, or what I like to say, if it's making you if it's making it harder on you to do what you want to do, then ask yourself, do I really have to do this as part of my process? And I have a great example of that, and also of where Max made excuses. If you'd like to hear it, 
Yeah, absolutely. Okay, yeah, because people think Max never makes excuses. Well, Max does. And um, about four years, about three years ago, I was having trouble with the uh, hosting platform that I was using for my podcast, and uploading the audio was taking it out of me. It was frustrating me. It was it was killing a lot of time. It was taking my joy away from having great conversations and posting them online. So I asked myself, Max, you don't want to let this keep you from doing interviews because you enjoy doing these. You enjoy talking with people and learning from them. So who says you have to have video? You have to have an audio podcast. Who says your stuff has to be on Apple and Stitcher, et cetera, in order for you to be a podcaster? And after I did that, I said, okay, until we can solve this problem where it doesn't steal my joy from, from having a podcast, I'm just going to post a video. So for two years, I posted the video to Facebook and YouTube. And of course, not a lot of people have seen them because my YouTube subscription is horrible. But some people have watched them and enjoyed them. And last summer, I was uh, invited to give a talk or be part of a presentation at what's called uh, uh, Level Up in Wichita, Kansas. It's put on by a group, a company called Envisions that specializes in training people who are visually impaired. So I go there for the week. I'm around all these amazing high school and college age kids. They are learning about uh, aerospace, culinary arts, electrical engineering. They're learning all these things that wouldn't have even been a thought when I was in high school or college. And they not only think they want to do them, they're doing them. They are participating in hands-on activities during the week in these areas they're interested in. And I came back home and I said, you know, Max, if these kids can do that and, and not only do it, but believe, honestly believe that they can make a career doing that, then you really have to solve this. This is you making excuses. So I started asking around and a friend of mine said, Max, if you were just on the wrong hosting platform, uh, you really should try uh, Blubbery, which is a very accessible one. So I installed the app. I installed the plugin on my, uh, on my, on my blog. I started uh, setting it up and using it. I found it uh, the video that on their website to be very friendly. There was only one piece of it I couldn't get by myself, and uh, I was shocked when I got an email from the uh, the head technical guy Todd at uh, Blueberry saying that he wanted to get on a Zoom call with me and help me figure out what was what my problem was, and he did. And I was like, "Wow, this is, <laughs> these are some awesome people." And no, they're not sponsoring me, and I don't have an affiliate link for them. But uh, so I, uh, we figured it out. I started uploading my audio again. July 1st of last year, my podcast was back available on, uh, on Apple and Stitcher. Um, so far, I'm closing in on about 2,000 downloads, which other people are going to say. Uh, that's not all that great. But me, I love it. I'm excited by it because each week, each time I post a new episode, my numbers are getting better. My audience is growing. It's a loyal audience. We're getting 50 or 60 downloads at least of every episode. And so this was a case where I made excuses. And first I said, I can't do it, but what can I do? And then I was like, Max, you got to fix this because this is who you are. This is who you tell people you are. And if anything, you are honest with people. You know, it just, it just bothered me eventually to the point where I said, okay, we're going to fix this. And we did. And now I make sure that I share that story as often as possible because I think people wrongly assume that Max never has an occasion where he says, no, Max can't do that. Well, thank you for sharing that story because 
I, that is good that, you know, you can be honest and open about, you have made excuses before. Um, they're not the excuses that people necessarily expect, but you have made them and don't downplay the 50 to 60 downloads. As we talked about prior to recording, you know, most people don't make it past nine episodes or 14 episodes or five episodes, you know, and they only have a chance to impact maybe five people that they already knew you're impacting more people that you didn't necessarily know, uh, just by putting it out there. So don't downplay that. No, no. And the other thing me and you both know is that, um, these, these people that are following us, we are making an impact on them. Now, one of the things that is really hard on podcasters is beyond downloads, we really don't have a good way of knowing the effect we're having on people that are watching or listening to us because Mm -hmm. the vast majority of them will never tell us how much we affected them. They will never leave a comment. They will never send an email. Uh, they will never share on social media in a way where we can see that they shared it because they didn't tag us maybe. So downloads is what most podcasters assess about, but you have to remember you're doing the work. You're interviewing people and sharing their stories in our cases, or you're recording a monologue and you're sharing your experiences and the lessons you think will help people so that they can accomplish their goals. So yeah, I, I, I never get really overly focused on the numbers but I do think it's important to go, hey, I'm proud of what I'm doing, even though some people will look at those numbers and go, uh, you, have, you, you still have a ways to go, you know? Yeah, no, I totally understand that. Uh, I think another benefit that you and I, I know have experienced is, um, in podcasting is the relationship building. I mean, even if you still get five downloads or 10 or whatever the case may be, I now have had a fantastic conversation with Max and I'm in Max's (laughs) corner now. And I, I just want nothing but success for you. And so it's, it's great to be able to build those relationships. And I personally get more out of this podcast than probably anybody who listens to it gets (laughs) out of it. Right. And I'd like to speak to that for a minute. Um, For those people who are doing a podcast or who are appearing on podcasts, I want you to think about this. If you are doing a, if you're doing a podcast and you're interviewing people and you're not having at least one aha moment of your own during each interview, you're doing it wrong because there should be at least one thing the guest says during your interview that either is a brand new thought or is a thought you knew but didn't understand being expressed in a different way or is just something you needed to be reminded of. If you don't have at least one moment every time you strap on your microphone, then you're doing it wrong. And I advise you to watch people like me and, uh, and Trent and see how it's supposed to be done, even if, uh, even if I've gotten him way off schedule today. The, the other thing <laughs> is relationship. The other thing is relationship building. Now, you know I help people get on podcasts. And the one thing I'm always surprised by is people who want to do 50 podcasts in a month or 30 in a month. Uh, and I'm like, that's, that's just the wrong way to approach it. It's not the number of podcasts you do. It's the number of relationships you build. Because if you sit down with somebody for a half hour or an hour and you've exchanged emails or direct messages for a week or more before that podcast, by the end of the time, you should be friendly, if not outright, outright friends with that, with that host. 
you know, you should want to support them on social media. You should send emails down the road. You should collaborate with them or invite them to be part of, of your journey in some way whenever possible. And way too many people that, that want to work with me to get on podcasts to promote themselves are focused solely on getting on the number of shows, having the number of downloads, and, and the, so, the amount of social media uh, reach that the person has instead of the relationship building and how those relationships can accumulate to the point where uh, eventually you have all these people who are helping push you and all these people that you've met over time that, that you help push in return. Absolutely. And I love that you, you talked about that aha moment because I, I believe that to be true too, where there's so many times where I'm sitting here just going, wow, why did I not think of that? Why did I not have that experience before? Why is that new thought? Um, so I appreciate that you mentioned the aha moment because it's, it's something that I don't, looking back, it's obvious to me now. It's like, oh yeah, I, I do have those moments, but um, it's not something that's ever been brought to my attention before. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's not something most people will notice because it takes a while of doing a podcast before you get, um, you get to that point where you can be uh, mindful, you can be in the moment enough to where you, you appreciate those aha moments when they happen. You know, because in the early days, you're too focused on the tech, on your conversational flow, on making sure you get your questions in or you're making sure you, you uh, get the guests to, to cover something that, they're, that they want to when they come on the show. So it's one of those things you will get better at finding as you go along. But really, there are those moments every time you have a conversation with a new guest. And as I like to say, even people who are considered inspiring need to be inspired on a regular basis. And that's one of the great things about having a podcast and doing interviews. And it's an excuse to meet people that you wouldn't normally get to because more often than not, when I write to people and ask them to be on my podcast, the answer is either yes or I would love to, but not right now. Occasionally it's no. Uh, the person you're wanting is too busy and they're never going to come on your show. But that happens very, very rarely. And I, I've got friends with lots of different stories about athletes and performers who've come on their podcast when they didn't even have 10 episodes yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've, I've seen that myself as well. Um, but you know what? There's, I'm, I'm glad that you've had the experience of being told no and you, that doesn't phase you. That's something that still phases me on occasion. Uh, fortunately, it's, it's a little bit easier being rejected by email versus something else, you know, face to face, but, <laughs> uh, well, I'm going to tell you the same thing. I tell people when I get the, when they, when they write to me about this subject, I'm going to say, if, if you're not good at being told, no, get somebody else to ask. <laughs> yep. Or, or you, uh, or you just keep going until, until it, you get the thicker skin, I guess. Yeah, that's true too. I mean, you some people can some people can just keep going. They uh, they will they will find a way to overcome the 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 overcome taking the nose personally, and they will eventually get there. But other people, 
you know, we'll eventually just need to find somebody to do the asking for them. And what I find, what I find amazing is the number of people I've had conversations with over the last few years where a person appears to be doing very well. Uh, they seem to have a, a good show or a good practice and you talk to them and it's like, they don't have the confidence in themselves or their, or their work to reach out to ask somebody else to go, Hey, you should have me on your podcast or, Hey, you should write for my blog or, Hey, you should, you should let me interview you for my magazine. And it's just amazing how many people on the outside appear really successful. Like they've got all their stuff together. And then you talk to them, you're like, yeah, they're like they're like those big Labrador retrievers. They may look like a big dog, but inside they're just that little bitty puppy they once were. <laughs> having having a, uh, a puppy Labradoodle at home right now, I can I can definitely speak to that. <laughs> yeah, uh, anybody who's had to hold anybody who's had to hold a Labrador during fireworks or a thunderstorm knows exactly oh, what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So. What you you have your podcast about, you know, what's your excuse? What have you experienced in the What's Your Excuse podcast? People's excuses and helping them overcome them. Um, well, you know, with with my podcast, I'm generally talking to people who have uh, have already accomplished a lot of things. Um, but I love talking to people who are still on their journey. To me, those are the best mm-hmm. guests because they've done some things, but they're they're still not at that point where they think that they're a success or they've accomplished it yet. Uh, but I would say most of the people that, uh, that I've talked to their, their biggest obstacle seems to be, uh, their outside impression, um, sharing themselves with the world, telling their stories. I, I find it, um, interesting how many people seem to think it's a, it's a, you know, a big deal to be able to come on my podcast and share their story because they're still not sure that people need to hear it yet. Uh, I recently talked to a visually impaired woman who is currently unemployed, but, you know, we talked about some of the things she had to overcome to even get a, a regular job working at the Burlington Coat Factory. So I, uh, I think that for the, for the most part, I haven't really run into a lot of excuses. And, you know, now you've, you've got me thinking that maybe – the, the what's your excuse show needs a what's your excuse question. I think that would be a, that'd be a great thing to add. Um, but you know, in real life, uh, online, when I talk to people, the excuses seem to be, I, I'm too old. I don't know enough. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time. Uh, there's no way I could actually accomplish this because I've failed so many times before. And so there are a lot of excuses people tell themselves big and small. And I find that time and money are two of the worst because we can always find ways based on what, what time and money we do have. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I mentioned this to you before we started. When I travel, I've now gotten to the point where I insist that the people I'm going to, to visit provide the, uh, the living ex- expenses or a fee or both. But even with that, I don't wait until I have a you know a hundred dollars or five hundred dollars or a thousand dollars in my pocket to go. Okay, I can accept this opportunity, and now I've got a good enough cushion. So if if they fall down on the job or something unusual, unforeseen happens, I'm okay. No, you know I look at uh, at what's I look at my journey, and I think, okay, do I have enough 
do I feel comfortable with the people I'm going to be working with? Is the purpose for going there uh, strong enough that I'm willing to to overcome my, my own personal excuses regarding money and say, hey, what the heck, I'm going to do it anyway, even though everything tells me I should stay home. So <laughs> time and money seem to be the biggest excuses, but on my podcast, I don't get a lot of excuse making, but, but now you, I'm serious. Uh, I don't say this in jest or just because I'm, you know, I'm trying to make the host look good or anything. I seriously think I need to have a, a question where I ask the people on my show, is there one thing in your life where you personally made excuses? I think that's going to make my show better. So thank you. Well, I'm, I'm glad I can try and provide you some, some value there. I, uh, you know, I, I feel like I just take all the value in, in this show and that's where I put it out there. It's like, okay, so let's put this show out there. So somebody else gets some value out of this too. Cause I feel like I'm the one just sucking it all in. And so I'm, I'm glad I can try to reciprocate there a little bit for you. But uh, so I've, I've got to ask what's next for you. Like what, what's the next plan for Max? Well, a lot of our plans are up in the air right now. So mm -hmm. in the short term, it's more podcast interviews, virtual speaking opportunities. And I have two more books worth of experiences on my laptop that I need, uh, that I need to take advantage of this time at home to, uh, to get published. So uh, books four and five or five and six, I'm not sure. Uh, more podcast interviews as the host. Um, I have a couple of people coming up that I'm really excited about. One, because uh, her, her, her name is uh, Annette. Uh, I can't pronounce her last name, but her show is called A Wild Ride Called Life. And uh, she has never shared her book with anybody yet. She's actually sending me the manuscript. So I'm going wow. to get to have help a woman tell her. I'm going to get to help a woman tell these personal, uh, very, you know, emotional stories in public for the first time. I mean, I'm excited about that. And every time I, I, I get a new guest, I'm always excited about their story, what I'm going to learn and how it's going to affect me. So those are short term, long term. I, I always get opportunities from hosts and friends online to, to, to visit them whenever I'm traveling. So eventually I want to travel uh, to other parts of the world, uh, meet more people, go more places, have more experiences, and, and hopefully do my podcast on location. I have said this, and some people are like, Max, this isn't really in your capability or your wheelhouse, but somehow it's gotten into my head, so I say this. Eventually, I want my podcast and What's Your Excuse show to be at least the first nationally syndicated uh, television program, whether that's Netflix, Amazon, uh, Saturday morning, wherever. And I really think that, you know, doing my show in person where I would get to learn more about the person and their, their, their life outside of their blog or podcast or whatever else it is that they do. I think that would be even, even better for me to learn from them, to get to, to get to experience, you know, more of their actual life outside of their work. And so that's something I want to do eventually. I want to travel the world. I want to do speaking and other, more speaking. Um, my friend Adriana Galvazoni, who's my most loyal client, it's been with me from the beginning of my getting people on podcasts. She's like, Max, red carpets and big stages are in your future. So me and her have a dream that someday there'll be a, a What's Your Excuse or the Blind Blogger documentary. 
or mm-hmm. her books her books will get turned into movies and I'll be her plus one on the red carpet. So that's those are some <laughs> things. Uh, I want to appear on Sesame Street, sing on the Grand Ole Opry, and at least sing on Broadway, even if it's out front of out front of somebody's theater where they call the cops on me. Um, <laughs> I have I have things that come in and out of my head all the time. I recently posted about my idea about a documentary film, and somebody was being very sarcastic. Said, "Max, if you think people would watch a movie about you, why not? Why aren't you considering a Broadway play?" I'm like, "Okay, I'll add that to the list." Um, I have this presentation called Music and Motivation that I keep wanting to do, but I haven't figured out the, the how on that yet, although I I've, I've now know that I could do it virtually, but I need to find a producer slash co-host to help me with StreamYard or with some other virtual platform. So if somebody wants to help the blind blogger produce a part singing, part talking presentation to motivate the heck out of whoever happens to see it and use it as a platform to get to get myself booked into arenas when this COVID thing is all over with. I would love that, you know, so lots of things that I want to do. Some of them are crazy, even by my standards. Some of them are nostalgic things I want to do just because, you know, they, uh, the things I grew up with, um, you know, I'm, I'm really disappointed that I didn't get to Sesame street before Pinner passed away because I grew up with big bird and, and Bert and Ernie. So, uh, my bottom line is, is I tell people never to put limits on God because quite often he has things in store for you that are bigger than anything you can dream of. So those are some of the things in my head. That doesn't mean there isn't something even crazier out there. And I hope that people listening to me will take from that. My dreams may be big enough for me right now, but most of us, no matter how far we've come, most of us still see ourselves less than who we really are. It takes people around us to see that person we can truly be and the things we're really capable of. So I hope I will inspire people to, to, to try new things, to do scary things, to ask for help from their friends and online community. If they don't have an online community, to, to go out and start finding one, and they can start by reaching out to me at theblindblogger.net. And basically... Realize what your excuses are and start taking those small steps every day to overcome them. Wow. Max, what's your excuse? Go go do it. Go get that syndicated show. Go you got this. Like I I have no doubt in your capabilities of doing those things. And we'll talk a little bit once we get done speaking here of, you know, how I can try and help make those things happen for you. But all One right. thing I want. Well, well, just I just want to break right, in for a second. See, see, see what just happened there. I shared crazy dreams with the host. What does the host say? The host says, "When we're through, I want to talk to you about how I can help you make some of these happen." That's the best lesson I can teach y'all today or any other day. Is we have to ask for help. We have to accept help when offered, and we have to get past this fear that there's something wrong with us if we do. So. I'm sorry to break your train of thought no. there and jump in on you, but it, but this is like the most important thing I teach people. The whole idea that when you refuse to ask, you rob the other person of the joy they would have gotten from helping you. So when you said after the show, I'm like, Max, you forgot to make you forgot to make that point. So I'm sorry for interrupting you, but I just <laughs> had to do that. No, absolutely, no no problem at all. But uh, so I we I definitely do want to talk to you after we get done recording, but. I want to ask you 
what is it that excites you about the future, personal or business? People are going to think this is strange, but I'm actually excited about Corona because I see all these people who found the freedom to do things they never did before. All these stories about uh, people out in their front yards getting to know their neighbors, people uh, drawing, painting, sculpting, singing, learning to play musical instruments, um, people writing books, writing screenplays, recording videos, posting to YouTube. Uh, so many things. It almost feels like Corona is leading to a renaissance of people deciding, I don't have to be the guy who goes to work for somebody else if I don't want to. Or I don't have to be happy with the job I have if I don't want to. Because we're all learning new things every day because of Corona, because of working from home. We're seeing people who used to be gods of television and, and uh, radio who are now doing this stuff from their house and they stink at it just as bad as we do. <laughs> you know, there's just so much, there is just so much freedom from Corona if you can recognize that it's allowing you to do things that you didn't have the freedom in your mind to do before. If you say, okay, I've lost my job, but what can I do during this time? And I, and I, and I understand this is stressful on people. I don't want people to take me the wrong way and think, he doesn't realize how hard I have it. And I understand because I have a brother who's one of those essential workers. He's, he, goes to, he goes to Walmart every night so people can have groceries on the, on the shelves. And he gets tired of being told he's a hero. Uh, but in our house, he is because he, he goes to work every day and gives me the comfort to know that I don't, have to, I don't have to support us all by ourselves. So I understand there are people in stress. There are people unemployed, something like 40 million Americans who are surviving on unemployment benefits. But there are opportunities around every single one of us to do something we never had the freedom to do before. So I'm excited about Corona. I'm excited about all the people who have started podcasts or who are now sharing their stories on podcasts who never shared their stories before. And I'm just excited about what is going to happen next because so many people talk about return to normal. We ain't going back to normal. If we do this right, we're going to something better than normal. That's what excites me. Oh man, you just, I love that. Like it just fired me up right there because you, you hit the nail on the head. It, if you see it, you, you are looking for the positive and you're finding it. And so many people right now are looking for the negative and guess what? They're finding it. So I love that you took something that has disrupted everyone's life and found the positive in it. And like you, I hope it does. It is more of the Renaissance where we come out of this better than we were before. And so thank you so much, Max, for, you know, taking time to talk to me. And like I said, I've, I'm getting so much out of this. So I, I appreciate that you were willing to share your story with me. Well, thank you so much for putting in the time and effort that you do to have this show to give people like me this opportunity. Thanks for being such a authentic person to where when you have a conversation with Trent, you feel like you are, uh, you're building a friendship. And thank you for that. And, and most importantly, thank you for not quitting, for not giving up at five episodes or 14 episodes when you wondered if you were, were doing it right or making progress. And I always like to make sure I tell this to the hosts. 
very, very few people are doing this for fame and fortune. Of the people who are doing it, hoping to get rich, very few of them are accomplishing that goal. Most people do it out of an, a sense of obligation. They feel like they have to, to help their community by sharing stories like mine, or uh, they feel an obligation. So, and some people are just doing it for the fun, for the experience of putting this content out in the world. But without you, without all those podcasters and radio show hosts and blog owners, there wouldn't be of the blind bloggers. So thank you. Oh, I, I appreciate those kind words. Uh, where's, where's the best place for my audience to interact with you? Right. They can go to the blindblogger.net. That's the blindblogger.net. Or they can send me an email to just ask at the blindblogger.net. My, uh, social media choice is LinkedIn, but over there I'm Maxwell Ivy and I'm sure you're going to post the links for people. Mm-hmm. And I hardly ever say no to connection requests on social media because I feel like you never know where a new friend or a new connection is going to take you. They're all an opportunity waiting to happen for friendship, for support, for collaboration. So don't feel like I'm some rock star that you can't talk to or that you have to want to hire me or book me in order to speak to me. I love hearing from people. I love having conversations. One of the great things about being a podcast guest is, is I get to create content promote myself by doing something I enjoy doing. So I love conversations. Be sure to reach out to me at theblindblogger.net. Use the contact form. If you don't hear from me in a while, send me another email or call me out on social media and go, Max, I thought you said you were... So, uh, because I I am this guy, the, the same guy you see on Trent's show on Hustle Today. That's the guy I am. That's the guy I aspire to be every morning when I get up. And I truly do look forward to hearing from y'all. Perfect. Thank you. Well... You know, I know I've gotten a ton of value out of this. So I know my audience has gotten a ton of value out of this. So I encourage you all to get out there and hustle the day.